faith. We want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. A series of verses tonight on the back of that bulletin. Uh, and as, since we have several guests with us, uh, we are basically taking different topics of the Bible and starting at one verse, marking our way through the Bible, telling uh, after this verse, right on the bottom of the page, the next verse, and then you go there, underline it, right on the bottom of that page, the next verse. So we're basically creating little tracks or little routes through the Bible in order to make sure that we have all of these verses marked so that uh, hopefully, as you have conversations with the, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family about Bible things, if these topics come up, you will be prepared to lead them through a, a short series of verses that might answer their questions. And tonight's question that we're going to deal with, or topic that we're going to deal with, is the topic of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Uh, that is a, a bit of a sensitive and emotional topic. Uh, I'm aware of that, and that's one reason I like to have these verses marked in my Bible. Uh, it is very helpful to me, whenever one of these questions come up, to just show them verses and shut up. Uh, that, that's what I like to do. I just say, hey, let's just look at the verses, and you tell me what the Bible says. Because the Bible is, a, it, it is an understandable book. And so you show people the verses in the Bible about sensitive topics like marriage and divorce and remarriage, and it is amazing just how easily people can understand what the Bible says. And so I encourage you to have all of these marked in your Bibles and be able to walk somebody through uh, this sensitive, this emotional, but this very important topic. And we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, well, before I get there, I will also say this. I don't plug my own sermons ever uh, in sermons, social media, any of that. But at the beginning of 2020, remember, remember 2020, uh, at the be this probably should have been the omen that 2020 was going to be awful, is that my first two sermons of 2020 were sermons on divorce and remarriage. Uh, so if you do want to go back and get more of a uh, explanation of many of these passages than what we're going to do tonight, I encourage you to go back and look through the sermons on the website. They are there. Here's what they look like from the website. All right, so Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. This is uh, our, our path, our route, our track, number 15. So make sure if you are going through the process of marking your Bibles, put a 15 dash in front of uh, the next verses, and I try to put that on the screen so that you have that uh, reminder there. Uh, also, I try to ramble on long enough on each passage so that you have time to mark it and make all of your notations. So that's what's currently happening. All right, so Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. This is why a man leaves his father and mother in bonds to his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet they felt no shame. So this is very obviously, as you're probably aware, this is the story of creation, and particularly in chapter 2, the beginning of mankind, the beginning of God's uh, creation there that he instilled in the image of God, that he created in the image of God. And man had certain rules and laws and, 
and, and structures by which man was supposed to live. One of those was marriage. And the we, reason we know this is the establishment of marriage is because it is a principle that actually could not be followed by Adam and Eve. There was no father and mother to leave. So how does man leave father and mother, or excuse me, how does Adam leave father and mother when he is the first created man? Well, he obviously can't. Uh, the reason this verse is found there in Genesis is because it is the establishment of marriage. God has, from the very first woman and man, established that man and woman were to be joined together and become one flesh. But this becomes the foundational verse for many of the other passages we have about marriage, and particularly divorce and remarriage, because it shows something. God intended Adam and Eve and every man and woman after that point that decided to be joined into one flesh to be permanently joined into one flesh. There's no explanation here in Genesis 2. So, Adam, if it doesn't work out with the only other woman on earth, here's what you need to do. That, that's just not there for obvious reasons. But I think it's also not there because that was never God's intention. God does not desire man to leave wife and be joined to another. God intends man and woman to be joined together and to become as one person. Uh, Elijah pulled me aside this morning and said, you know, you, you take that illustration that I used this morning about the idea of the nagging itch, that, you know, you're, if your wife is a, I think I said the husband is the nagging itch, uh, if you are one flesh, you group that idea of loving your wife, your spouse as your own body or the one flesh concept that you become one body, well, then you will be aware of if the other part of your body feels an itch. And you will automatically scratch it because she is part of your body. She is part of your one flesh. That, that image here from Genesis 2 extends to the way the relationship is supposed to work. And I thought that was a very good observation on Elijah's part. God intends for a man and a woman who get married to become one flesh. It, that's, that's the ideal. And it is interesting that often in Scripture, God speaks in terms of ideals when it comes to marriage. Uh, so much so that you look at the other end of the Old Testament, you've got Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16. Here, as he explains the people's sins, he explains the things that they've involved themselves with, the ways that they have failed his standard, he makes this statement. And I took this from the New American Standard Bible because my Christian Standard Bible reads differently. Uh, I want to talk about both briefly. New American Standard Bible says, I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And him who covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of armies. So be careful about your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Now, because there is some uh, alternate Hebrew versions, 
you have it also translated this way, and this is Malachi chapter 2, 16 from the Christian Standard Bible. I think the English Standard Version is similar to what I'm about to read here. If he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, he covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of armies. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously. Now, what's interesting is the New American Standard places the hatred of divorce in the heart of God. The Christian Standard Bible places the hatred and divorce in the heart of the husband. But here's what doesn't change. In both versions, is divorce acceptable? Not at all. In the New American Standard Version, God hates it, so don't do it. In the Christian Standard and several other translations, if the man hates and divorces, God considers him as having covered his garment with injustice, and therefore it is wrong. While there is a slightly different reading, and people will make a big deal out of that. That, well, you know, you know, these certain versions don't actually say God hates divorce. Does God hate sin? Does God hate injustice? Does God hate when we deal treacherously with others? And if that is how he calls divorce, that it is those things, does God hate divorce, even in the passages or the translations that don't say that directly? Yes. So either way, I prefer the New American Standard Version, not because I like it better, but because I find the New American Standard Bible tends to side more accurately with the original languages. So I, I prefer that version. It doesn't change the message. God intends for us to stay married, to not be divorced. God intends marriage to be a permanent relationship. Okay? Everybody with me on that? All right, just make sure uh, he hates it. Um, Either way, either way you look at this passage, he hates it. All right, Matthew chapter 19. This is a little bit of a longer reading, so uh, even if you're not marking your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to turn over to Matthew 19 with me. Uh, this is a bit of a story of a discussion Jesus had with the Pharisees about divorce. Uh, they had a little bit of an argument on how divorce was to be understood and if not because the Pharisees necessarily were defensive of divorce, but they were trying to catch Jesus. They were trying to trick him. They were trying to make him look bad in front of the people that he was teaching. And so this is that story of their conversation. I'm going to start reading in verse 1, uh, but I'd like you to mark verse 3 down through verse 12. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Okay, I, I want to stop there for a moment and, and make a comment. That is a loaded question. Understand that. This isn't a, a sincere question of explain to us God's will on divorce. That, that, that's not what they ask. They ask in a way that is tricky. Is it lawful for a man to divorce for any reason? Now that can mean any reason at all. 
That could mean any single reason. It is a tricky way to ask the question because it is hard to answer within the framework of its wording. Okay, understand that as we move forward. Now, Jesus does the answer beautifully, and that's what I want you to pay attention to. Verse 4, haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? He also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That sound familiar? We just read that in Genesis 2. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked him, why then did Moses command us to give divorce papers and send her away? Now again, notice, loaded question. Moses never commanded that. Moses never said, I want you, or God wants you to divorce your wives, so go ahead and go grab your divorce papers and get them ready. That's the way they word it here. That's never what Moses said. Keep reading with me. Verse 8, he told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts, but it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Answers beautifully again. His disciples said to him, now these are not the ones trying to trick him. These are those having a sincere and genuine response to what Jesus has taught. His disciples said to him, if the relationship between a man and his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. Jesus responded, not everyone can accept the saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's wombs. There are eunuchs who were made that way by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. Now that's a bit of a long story, and there's a lot in there. And a lot in there has been twisted through the years to match people's uh, desires. Well, I want to justify getting divorced, so I'm going to twist this passage to mean this and this way in order to make that happen, okay? I, I, I want to speak in general terms here because I, I think there is a general teaching in this passage that applies and you see repeated in all the other passages we're going to talk about this evening. And it is this. The intention from the beginning was that God does not like divorce. I don't think you can disagree with that. While you might disagree on well, what exactly is sexual immorality, does that include just the action? Does that include the thought? Does that include uh, perusing pornography? Does that, in, you know, you get all these discussions as to what all is included in sexual immorality. You get questions about uh, you know, exactly what the process is. You get questions about what's the role of forgiveness in all of these things. I mean, you get all of these grand and robust discussions when the simple answer is that Jesus gave, God intends for your marriage to be for life. 
That's the answer. That's the answer. And they were trying to twist it around and make it mean or, or give themselves more freedoms than what God ever intended. Notice, Jesus, when he appeals to truth, doesn't appeal to Moses as the leader of a stubborn people. He appeals to God as the one who laid the foundation for the relationship in the first place. He appeals to creation. God created male and female. They were joined together and they became one flesh. Therefore, because of that, what God has joined together, let no man separate. What's the exception to that? To that principle, there is none. So they argue about Moses' rules and Jesus answers Moses' rules. That's not really what Moses was saying either. The truth is, God intends a man and a woman to stay married. That, that's the ideal. That's the teaching. That's the goal. That's what we should be shooting for. God wants marriages to last a lifetime. Not for us to be looking far out. Several years ago, I was listening to a, a preacher, a friend of mine, give a lesson. Uh, it was in more of a lecture format where there was question and answer at the end. And uh, he, he basically gave a lesson on forgiveness. And it was an excellent lesson. He, he did a fantastic job. It was, but what, what I have remembered through the years is not the details of the lesson, but the very first question that was asked at the end of the lesson. Are you telling me I have to forgive my spouse that cheated on me and that I can't get divorced? That was the first question. It was very obvious with the way that she framed it that she had no intention of forgiving him and that she had no intention of reconciling a relationship that she considered beyond repair because... God told her she could get out of it. And I want you to understand something here. While that might be technically true, that is not the spirit of this passage. Jesus is not standing before the Pharisees giving them the list of outs. He is standing before the Pharisees saying, you need to quit looking for the outs. Because from the beginning... God intended for a man and a woman to become one flesh and for no man to separate that. That's what Jesus teaches here. And if that's not obvious enough, what you have here at the end of the passage is the disciples' response. Well, if that's the case, then it'd be better to never get married in the first place. Women, if that's a man's response, don't marry him. Like, that, that is unmarriable material right there. It, you know, but, but that, I mean, clearly, Jesus is not teaching permission for divorce if the response by those who are genuine in their spirit is, well, then it'd be best not to ever get married. What is it that Jesus says to them? You know what? There are some who have become eunuchs who have become inactive in the ways of intimacy for the sake of being pleasing to God in the kingdom? That's the answer. Yeah. I mean, Jesus' answer is not, yeah, it's better to not marry. 
But his answer is, yeah, realize this is serious stuff. It is good for a man to be married for life. Anything else is a departure from the will of God in some way or another. Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, you have a kind of a, a random reference to marriage and the permanence of marriage. And it's somewhat similar to what you have Jesus say over in Matthew chapter 19. Here, verse 31 and 32, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. That's what the Pharisees alluded to over in Matthew 19. But I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife except in the case of sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So here's what I want you to notice about this passage. First of all, Jesus again teaches this concept of permanence in marriage. But what I want you to notice is that in part, it introduces for us what I think is the reality for so many people in our world today. When divorce happens, it makes things difficult. Because now we've got to start remembering, okay, well, if I commit adultery, uh, or if I divorce my wife, I am causing her to be in a situation where she is going to sin. And uh, I, I am, if I marry a woman who has been divorced, now I am in a situation where there, there might be sin involved. And, and it just makes everything sticky. It makes things difficult. I yet to have met a person who has experienced divorce who hasn't said it was awful. just creates horrific situations for so many people. And not just in the immediate, but often it is a difficult situation for years to come. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times when divorce is legitimate and that there are times when because of sexual immorality or, or infidelity that there are, are justifiable in the eyes of God reasons for that divorce to happen. That, that's not, very obviously that's not the case. Jesus here makes those things clear. But what you do have in all of these cases, it, it starts creating difficulties. It starts creating hardship because it's not the ideal that God created. Think again about the lesson you heard this morning, uh, many of you, about marriage and the ideal marriage and how we do it. If a man and a woman approach marriage the way we talked about this morning, it's a great life. But when sin gets involved like sexual immorality and now there's going to be divorce as a result of the sexual immorality and now there is uh, having to balance forgiveness and, and balance uh, the, the you know, departure of that relationship and then uh, what about remarrying and all the, all the things you've got to figure out with all of that, it, it can create a nightmare. And I think that's Jesus' point here. Realize there, that there are some rules here. Now you're going to have to be very, very careful as you move forward that you don't get yourself into a worse situation because of the way that all this has worked out for you. 
Mark chapter 10 tells us a very similar story. Many people think probably is the same occasion as what you read over there in Matthew chapter 19. It could be. Uh, it is interesting that the, the, the wording of certain things is slightly different. So it's also possible this is another occasion on which the Pharisees have come to test Jesus and they use a similar issue. You know, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Uh, Jesus responds very similarly. Uh, basically, if, if we're reading this, he replied to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write us divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus said, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your heart. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together let no man separate. Similar instruction. In the house, keep reading here, uh, when they were in the house again, the disciples questioned him about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, on this occasion, and it does not in any way erase what Jesus says over in Matthew 19 and Matthew chapter 5, but you don't have the same what's generally called the exception clause in Mark chapter 10 and then over in Luke, which we're going to turn to in a minute. But again, I'm not saying that that in any way dismisses the exception clause over in Matthew 19 and Matthew 5. Those things apply to us. But it is interesting that the focus here in Mark 10 is what we said was the essence of the focus over in Matthew 19. The goal is not find the exception. The goal is meet the ideal. The ideal is marry for life. The ideal is be permanent in your marriage. That's what he stresses. Uh, here, it, 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 whenever that doesn't happen, it creates difficulties. And so we've got to recognize that. God's ideal doesn't have any difficulties. God's ideal of a man and a woman who are joined together as one flesh and no man separate that, there's nothing hard about that. I'm not saying it's not hard to be married. I know some days are harder than others. But it, it, is, it doesn't change the fact that what God says is if you'll just be married for life, you don't have all the sticky situations. So consider marriage permanent. Luke chapter 16, verse 18. Luke 16, verse 18. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And everyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Again, those same situational concepts that we have over in Mark 10 and Matthew 19 uh, and at the end of Matthew chapter 5, uh, they're kind of repeated again. The goal is... Stay married. When you get married to a person, you stay married to that person for life. You don't go pursuing happiness in the form of another person. You find ways to serve your spouse in a way that creates a permanent marriage. Romans chapter 7, verse 2 and 3. Romans 7, 2 and 3. Now this passage is interestingly not actually about marriage or divorce, but it's about the idea of 
using marriage and the concept of the permanence of the covenant to explain their responsibility toward the law. Uh, Verse 2 and 3. For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law regarding the husband. So then if she is married to another man while her husband is living, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. Then if she is married to another man, she is not an adulteress. Now we always have, and I think rightfully so, read into that the exception clause. Because those are explained for us over in Matthew 19 and Matthew chapter 5. But notice the stress here, the the emphasis that Paul is placing on their understanding of marriage is that you know that a man and a woman are married as long as the man and woman are living. That's the goal. That's the ideal. That's what God set up from the beginning. Now he's talking about the Jews' marriage to the old law and that once the old law has died, which happened with Jesus coming, that they are now free to marry a new law. So he's using it uh, as an illustration of their understanding of their responsibility to the law. But he is using marriage and the permanence of marriage as an understood concept to illustrate what is not understood. We in our culture don't tend to understand what these people did. That as long as your spouse is alive, you're married. You're married to them unless there is that breaking of the covenant uh, because of the exception clause. So he uses the idea of marriage and remarriage to explain that concept, assuming that they understand and agree with him regarding the permanence of marriage. Now, again... Long passage coming up, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But it's our last passage. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which most of the chapter deals with this concept of marriage and the permanence of marriage and how all of this works. We're going to read verse 10 all the way down to verse 28. So it's a bit of a long reading, uh, but I'm hoping it will, will, will open our eyes to a couple of things. Starting in verse 10. To the married, I give this commandment. Not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Her husband is not to divorce his wife. But I, not the Lord, say to the rest, If any brother has an unbelieving wife and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. For the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Wife, for all you know, you might save your husband. Husband, for all you know, you might save your wife. I think I'm a little bit behind on my screen there. All right, keep reading there in verse 17. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called, or was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter 
uh, and uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's commands is what matters. Let each one of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called as a freedman is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he is called. Now, about the virgins. Let me catch up again. Now, about the virgin. I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who is by the Lord's mercy faithful. Because of the present distress, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. But if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. Now, this passage has been used and abused much over the years. I'm going to be honest with you. There are many people who are much smarter than I am and much more studied than I am who come to this pass, come away from this passage with different views than I do. Here's my struggle with this passage. If we can have that much disagreement about the passage, we need to walk cautiously with it. We cannot use a passage that, that has been used and abused and restudied and reexamined and, and interpreted in, in a dozen different ways to defend our activity when that causes us to produce activity that disagrees with what we all agree on. This passage has been used to create more reasons for divorce. Uh, a, a very loose understanding of who can and who can't get divorced. And it has been used in, in ways to defend the idea that, hey, uh, if you're on your 18th marriage when you become a Christian, then you just remain in that sinful relationship. I cannot defend sinful relationships with a passage that is so easily disputed and argued makes me very nervous. It makes me very cautious with this passage of Scripture. This passage of Scripture cannot be used to dismiss all the things we've already read that Jesus taught and Paul taught over in Romans. Jesus stressed marriage is permanent. Not, we are free to do whatever we want to do. And I think we need to be cautious if we take this passage to create a, a looseness or a freedom that might not actually exist. You know, it is good for you, for the unmarried to stay that way, it says, because of the present distress, because of the things going on. We don't even know what the present distress was. 
I have read so many different opinions as to what the present distress was. Was it uh, upcoming persecution? Was it present persecution? Was it a particular situation happening at Corinth in this congregation like the sinful situation we read back in in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? There's all sorts of explanations as to what the present distress is. So it becomes difficult to say we need to do the same things even though we're not in the same circumstance. Be cautious about that. Good for the married to stay that way. It it says that. This idea of remain in the state in which you're called, though, is one of those places that's been used and abused. That as soon as when somebody becomes a Christian, that is the point at which God will start judging them. And therefore, whatever relationship they're in at that moment when they are baptized into Christ, that is the relationship God intends for them to stay in. I can't see that jiving with the passages we've already read. I don't see how those two concepts go together. What you have here, Paul says, don't Seek to get out of or to change your relationship, not that are simple. Notice the other illustrations he uses, circumcised versus uncircumcised. Did it really matter whether you were circumcised or uncircumcised in the new covenant? No. Were you sinful if you were circumcised or sinful if you weren't circumcised? No. That, that state had nothing to do with engaging in sin. And so he's saying, don't worry about it. That's not what the new covenant is about. Same thing with slave versus free. Were you a, a sinful because you were a slave or sinful because you were free? No. That relationship, that, that state in which they were called had nothing to do with engaging in sin. It just was their situation. And so I think similarly... If you are married or you were unmarried, it's not dealing with whether you're in a sinful situation or not. He's saying, if you're unmarried, stay unmarried. If you're married, stay married. But what about if you're married, but you're married to someone you shouldn't be married to? This is not a license to stay in that marriage. It is not a license to continue sinning. It is not a license to continue to live as an adulterer or an adulteress because of the marriage you're in that you shouldn't be in because of the other things that Jesus has already said. Instead, it is saying, stay where you are. Don't seek to make all these changes because uh, ultimately they're not what really matter. I think it's even better explained when you get there to verse 27 and 28. Are you bound to a wife? Some of, you will, some of yours will say betrothed. Are you betrothed? Don't try to get out of it. I mean, you can see if somebody, a new Christian, has read this passage of Scripture, which talks about the value of singleness, they're going, okay, well, I, I've got to get out of this marriage that I'm, that I'm promised to, that's been arranged for me, or that I'm betrothed to, because I, I'm, it's better for me to not be married. He's saying, no, 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 no. Slow down. Don't outrun your headlights here. Realize what you, you know, don't seek to get out of that. 
Uh, don't th- are you released from a wife? Don't seek another one. Don't, don't try to run back into a marriage. Ultimately, serving God is not going to be based off of whether you're married or not, is the point. You can serve God from any state. Whether you are grew up Jewish or grew up Gentile, whether you are slave or free, or whether you are married or unmarried, in any of those situations, you can serve God. So serve God. Ultimately, at the very end of this passage of Scripture, you've got verse 39 and 40. That's our next passage here, 39 and 40. In case there was some confusion about what this passage is talking about, Paul sums it up for us. And the summary that he gives of the things he is teaching in this passage fly in the face of what so many have used this passage to do, which is to defend their sinful state defend their multiple marriages, defend living in an adulterous marriage. Because it says right here at the end, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he is living. And if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. The summary is this, marriage is permanent. So any interpretation of this chapter that tries to lessen that, I'm confident in saying is not a right understanding of this passage. Maybe I shouldn't say confident. I am comfortable saying. I would much rather as the disciples had their conversation with Jesus and said, you know what, if that's the way marriage is, then it's better to not be married. I would much rather, if I were to, and for some reason, have a difficult situation and end up losing my marriage, take the cautious route. Because I want to please God more than I want to please myself. And I hope that's the case with all of us. Now, if if there, again, let me make sure I'm being clear here. If there is confidence in your situation that there was sexual immorality and infidelity and you are completely justified in in walking away from that marriage because of the things that have happened and, and you are confident before God that what you were doing, you were doing in service to God, that that's one thing. What I'm dealing with here is all of the situations that people get in that they say, well, but if you look at it this way, I could. Have you ever heard people say things like that? That's dangerous. Especially when there is such an emphasis in Scripture on marriage being permanent. And I tell you, when you show these passages of Scripture to people, no matter what their marriage situation is, if they don't have some sort of agenda, if they don't have some sort of, uh, of, of foreplanning on how they should interpret these passages of Scripture, if they're walking into this with fresh eyes and, a, and an open heart, I yet to have anybody walk away with any other understanding. Because Jesus is so clear. God's intention from the very beginning was that a man and a woman become one flesh, and that that marriage should not 
break up. That, that, that's the plan. Now, what do you do in all of the if, ands, and buts and strange situations we find ourselves in and the difficult scenarios and, uh, and, and all of that? How do you answer all of those? I don't. I don't. Because I'm not the judge. I show them these passages of Scripture and I say, you have a responsibility before God to make sure you are right with him. What should you do? I'll let them decide that based on faith. And some people will, based on faith, draw some very difficult conclusion. And some people, based on faith, will say, you know what? If that's the way it is, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And that's exactly what Jesus told his disciples. Some can accept this and some can't. That doesn't mean the ones who don't accept it are okay. It means they're willing to walk away from God to pursue happiness on this earth. That's their choice. It doesn't mean I don't care for them or love them or grieve for them. But that was Jesus' answer. And my answer can't go any further than Jesus' answer, can it? I can't create rules and laws and and judgments that Jesus himself has not given, can I? He is the judge, not me. And so my goal is to put the truth in people's hands so that they can craft their lives based on the things they've read. And I, I'm sure in this room there are probably some who, are, who heard what I said tonight about these passages and goes, well, but there's this. There might be. What I wanted to share with you tonight was what is clear. And all the ifs, ands, and buts, or some people finish that, coconuts and nuts. I mean, it, 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 I, it, I, I don't honestly oftentimes know what to do with all of those. I don't. I'll be honest. Other than pray for the person and give them the truth and let them make their life, build their life based on what they read there. That's hard. And it's hard to know what to do in certain situations, but I tell you, you'll never go wrong by going by what you know to be true. And you'll often go wrong by trying to defend what you want to be true. And to me, that is all the difference. That's why I love doing this Mark Your Bible series, because it just becomes so easy to hand people the truth and then to let them make their minds up and it, let them stand before God. If you're not a child of God, tonight would be a good night to become one. If you don't know how to become a child of God, tonight's a good night to start that conversation. We'll set up a time to get together and talk and study through things and show you things out of the Bible. And like I do with this, I'm just going to show you verses and let you understand for yourself what the Bible says. I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm going to say, here's where, here's where that passage is for yourself. But if you do know that you're not a child of God and what you need to do to become a child of God and you've just not made that decision yet, I encourage you to make it. I encourage you to start that conversation. Let's find out what it is you need so that you can be right before God. And if you're a child of God and you felt yourself, you, you found yourself kind of walking away from what you know to be true, 
There's no better night to deal with that than tonight. You can come forward. We can, we can talk about it. We can pray about it together. You can have a whole room full of people here who will help you and love you and compassionately pray for you. That's what we want for you. We want you to be right with God. So if you need the invitation to become right with God in, in one of those ways we've talked about, please come forward and let us know how we can help you as we stand and sing this song. Hosanna, you're my king. Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.